I'm on. All right. Last time we had technical difficulties, but not this time. Thank you, Bruce. When the right receiver and the right transmitter are together, they work much better. There's a, a lesson in there somewhere. There won't be any bad dad jokes or other things. Some people have wondered how I might work into this sermon after my last one. Last week, we closed with the mention of Moses gathering with God in the tent of meeting. And whenever he would come out, his face would be aglow, so much so that he would cover himself, his face, with a, a veil uh, when he was talking with the people, but uncover his face when he was going back into God's presence. And then chapter 35 and 36, which are my assigned passages, transitions to the construction, erection of another tent. Uh, Sometimes when you read through this section quickly and you don't really pay close attention, it gets a little confusing. Well, just how many tents did they have? Well, in this caravanning world, a lot of men would have their own tent. Their wives would have their tents. If you read through Genesis, some of the the stories of these wandering vagabonds, there are all of these different tents, uh, places of dwelling. But here in Exodus 35, the focus is on uh, constructing the tent where God's presence is going to come and dwell and where the priest would offer the sacrifices for the people uh, as mediators, as the go-betweens. So I'd ask you, if you have your Bible, to just turn with me to Exodus 35, and and let's read from this section and listen to uh, what is recorded for us. Uh, Exodus 35, 1. Moses called together, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I, I know John and Uh, Greg often read from the uh, New Revised Standard Version, and uh, just to be different, we're going to read from the New Living. Uh, Then Moses called together the whole community of Israel and told them, these are the instructions that Yahweh has commanded you to follow. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to Yahweh. Anyone who works on that day must be put to death. You must not even light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath. Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Take a sacred offering for, the, for Yahweh. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to Yahweh. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat hair for cloth. 
tanned ram skins and fine goatskin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that Yahweh has commanded, the tabernacle and its sacred tent, its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the ark and its carrying poles, the ark's cover, the place of atonement, the inner curtain to shield the ark, the table, its carrying poles, and all its utensils, the bread of the presence for light, the lampstand, its accessories, the lamp cups, and the olive oil for lighting, the incense altar and its carrying poles, the anointing oil and fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering, the bronze grating of the altar and its carrying poles and utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the curtains for the walls of the courtyard, the posts and their bases, the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs of the tabernacle and courtyard and their ropes, the beautifully stitched garments for the priests to wear while ministering in the holy place, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests. So the whole community of Israel left Moses, returned to their tents, all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and they brought their sacred offerings to Yahweh. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals, and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to Yahweh their offerings of gold, brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers and necklaces. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to Yahweh. All those who owned the following items willingly brought them, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins and fine goat skin leather. All who had silver and bronze objects gave them as a sacred offering to Yahweh, and those who had acacia wood brought it for use in the project. All the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen cloth. All the women who were willing used their skills to spin the goat hair into yarn. The leaders brought onyx stones and the special gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work Yahweh had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to Yahweh. Then Moses told the people of Israel, Yahweh has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Yahweh has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God. 
giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He's skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. And Yahweh has given both him and Oholab, son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. Yahweh has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and as designers. Yahweh has gifted Bezalel, Ahalab, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as Yahweh has commanded. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Holab and all the others who were specifically gifted by Yahweh and were eager to get to work. Moses gave them materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional offerings each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job Yahweh has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. And then it starts. The skilled craftsmen made ten, and they went on, following through, executing God's purpose, God's plan. As I read through these two chapters a, a few weeks ago, uh, it coincided that there's a daily devotional that I read where the, the author, primary author, focused on the power of imagination. And he addresses the need for redeemed imaginations. Raised an unusual point uh, that I'd never considered before. In the King James Version of the Bible, translation of the Bible, most of the passages, 18 out of 20 passages that use the word imagination, it's connected with less than ideal circumstances, we might say. That every imagination of their heart was evil. And so for... Uh, those group of translators, the idea of imagination often carried something of a, of a negative connotation. It, it was our imagining things that take us away from God. Uh, but the writer of the devotional began to raise the question, is that a healthy way of thinking about Imagination. Is our imagination the only part of our heart that's prone to wander away from God? Well, no, a lot of our thinking, a lot of our mental processes can go astray. But what about the powerful activity toward improvement 
that can come through imaginations that have been redeemed, that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, we don't read often of the Holy Spirit. You know, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, a celebration of God's giving of the Holy Spirit to all of his people on that day, 50 days after Passover, and thus the Pentecost, this time of celebrating God's gift of himself in a powerful way. This is one of the exceptional passages in the Old Testament. And I find it intriguing and insightful that the people who are specifically mentioned as having been given the Holy Spirit is a craftsman. So if we'd advance to the next slide, I want to share a definition from Merriam-Webster. You know, that dictionary used to be a book on our shelves in our libraries. And we know now through the power of Google and other search engines, uh, we don't have to go to a book. Imagination, the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. I want to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have the the ability to imagine something you've never seen before? We got got a few hands going up. There's some artists in the room. And, And that's the word we often use to describe those who can imagine things they've never seen. Well, the rest of us who have some creative ability, much more limited, are craftsmen and women because we take the plans of those who can envision it. If, if they can sketch it out for us, we might be able to help bring it into 3D reality. Uh, these two guys whose names are a little difficult to pronounce, especially the second one for me, Bezalel and Oholiab. If Sean was here, he could probably help me hear the the Hebrew uh, enunciation there. Uh, God's given them, verse 35 says, special skills as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet thread. They excel as craftsmen and designers. If we could go on to the next slide. You ever consider what a cherubim look like? Because in, in the instructions that we didn't go on to read in chapter 36, there's a direction that at the backside of the Holy of Holies, there will be this, this tent section, these panels, and they're to be engraven with two large cherubim. And we know from the movie, if nowhere else, that the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, There are these cherubim on, as a part of the mercy seat, the place where the blood would be placed once a year. What a cherubim look like? 
You know, either God gave these two guys dreams or visions, or they imagined from what he did give them what this embroidering and what this gold gilding should look like. And so just for sake of illustration, I did a search of what a cherubim looked like. And, and I want to share, uh, the first couple are from this, these panels, the, the way an artist of today envisioned they might have looked. And then there will be several of the Ark of the Covenant. But I want you to notice the diversity, the similarities, but then the diversity in, in these photographs. If we could look at the next. Whoops, that's a white one. Can you hit it another time? Oh, imagination and the Holy Spirit. Go ahead. They've got three. I think there were supposed to be two, so I'm not sure about this one. The next one. The next one. Pretty impressive. The next one. Uh, the, the, God's presence, the glory of the Lord there in the midst. The next one, the next, and the next. Is that the last one? I think it is. What helps you... To envision something that you need to bring into existence that you've never seen before. Somebody says, I stay away from jobs like that, John. That's the problem. I, I go to somebody like Georgia or one of these others who, who raise their hands and th there's a power when you hear a, 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 a word description you can envision you can imagine what it looks like others here and, and we probably have many more can imagine what it might sound like a, a song that's never been played before never been sung before what kind of tune goes with the message of these words Imagination is a powerful capacity. And for me, as a craftsman, this was a section that always gave me some consolation. You see, much of my years of trying to be a woodworker, I, I was supported financially by this church for the preaching and the ministry work during the week. But I had this side hustle. And many of the years, most of my work was done in concert with Norris Hall, a local artist. Norris could envision it. He could imagine things that hadn't been seen yet. And for someone like me, he could sketch it out. Uh, recently, I did a project for his daughter, and 
he sent me a suggestion. John, you need to incorporate some of your bowls with those uh, food-serving boards. I automatically thought, because I used the, the lathe of, you know, the chips and dip bowl where the, chip, the bowl is in the middle and the chips are all around the outer side because I'm envisioning using a lathe. I'm letting the tool dictate how it's done. And I said, well, those serving boards are so big, I couldn't spin them on my lathe to put the place in the middle. He said, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about over on the edge. And I'm thinking, once again, the lathe's not going to turn something off-center that big without walking across the room. Literally, it, it would inch across the room as it swings something that large. And so Nora sketched out a sketch, and automatically it's like, oh, okay, I'll turn the bowl on the lathe, but I'll have to use a router to make the indention on the charcuterie board so that they could sit in that, in that depressed area and match them up. He knew me well enough through these years to know I needed a way to envision it, and I wasn't going to dream it up on my own. I'm stuck in what I already know how to execute. People with the power of imagination bring a unique capacity for God's people. And I find it instructive that here, that gifting of crafting ability is something connected to the Holy Spirit. Imagination, I believe, is a part of being created in the image of God. If we go back from Exodus to Genesis, to the very beginning, God created everything out of nothing. One of my friends from Africa this last week posted a video of a woodpecker that had beaten this huge hole, big enough he could go into it and out of it, in this tree. And it reminded me of some, I'm not real good at trivial pursuit, but things that get locked in my brain, it seems like they're always there forever. A woodpecker has four unique characteristics compared to every other bird. All the other birds, their beak and their skull are fused hard together. A woodpecker's got a little cushion in between. If he didn't, he'd give himself a concussion every time he tried to beat that big hole in the tree. Other birds have three toes up and one toe down. The woodpecker has two up and two down needs that extra toe down there to be able to hang on to that tree while that banging is going on. Do you know where the power of that banging that can capture your attention if it's outside in your yard comes from? It comes from the tail muscle. Other birds have little small tail muscles that are able to turn and direct them in flight 
The woodpecker has this large, strong muscle. The tail pushing against the trees, what actually generates the force for that knocking? Unique characteristics that enable this bird to do something other birds can't do. Uh, those were pointed out in a book that I read several years ago entitled, It Couldn't Just Happen. You know, it takes all of those together at the right time to get a woodpecker. Any one of them missing, and the woodpecker would not survive. And that's just one of the many uniquely created beings that inhabit our globe. God envisioned such a myriad of people and places and creatures. And they all point to Him. And with human beings, He created us and gave us a, a job to care for the garden. And it's there at the garden that the first mention of cherubim appears. It's after the sin of Adam and Eve and them driven out that the cherubim are placed to keep them from ever returning. And now they reappear in the place of God's presence. And later in the book of Revelation, at the end of this massive thousands of years of storytelling of God at work among His people, John has that incredible throne room scene. And there are these four living creatures. That's the inner circle of the spiritual beings. Some have struggled with this section because they say, you know, God says have no graven images and then he puts the cherubim in there. And, and they're not only on the wall, they're, they're on this mercy seat. But the revelation of this imagery is these are not to be worshipped. This is the place where God's holiness is to come in a special way. The sermon series after Exodus is completed next week will transition into Hebrews. Uh, it was suggested recently for the Sunday school class by a couple of people, but it didn't win the vote on the future. And so the three of us getting together, praying and talking, thinking some about where to go next, thought, well, maybe it would be good to build on Exodus by going into Hebrews, since Hebrews takes a lot of the imagery of the tabernacle and the temple and helps us to see that 
Jesus in the heavenly holy place is the prototype. The archetype that the tabernacle and the temple allude to. He's the high priest who enters the holy place to offer the one perfect sacrifice. His own blood. His body. Which we remember in our time of communion. God's Spirit is still working in our world. He's still probing and prompting and encouraging us to use the power of imagination. What if homelessness was no longer a problem? What if hungriness was no longer a condition. One of the remarkable things in this section is the people have to be told, stop bringing gifts. We've got more than enough. And it made me think of that statement in early part of Acts. I think it's in chapter 4 where it said they had no poor among them. After, it's talked about their generosity. God's answer to many of the problems in our world for today is the generosity of His people. People who are willing People who are eager. People who give more than enough. The thing about willingness is it can't be forced from outside. It has to be nurtured. Verse 5 of Exodus 35. Take a sacred offering for Yahweh. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts. Verse 20. The whole community of Israel left Moses. They returned to their tents, all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved, came and brought their sacred offerings to Yahweh. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals, and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing they brought to Yahweh their offerings of gold, 
these brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers, their necklaces. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering. What prompts you to generosity? What captures your imagination? What fires your imagination? What purpose of God just keeps coming back again and again and again? Later today, an announcement is going to be made about this evening. The youth are going to be working on a project for the nation of Malawi. It's one of those sub-Saharan African countries that's sort of in the middle of the continent, and it's one of the poorest. Uh, Bonnie Burns has been there with a group, uh, the Malawi Project, who help the hurting, the disadvantaged. Uh, they gather up a lot of uh, medical equipment and supplies, especially from hospitals and doctor's offices, and ship it over to Malawi because of their poverty in providing health care. And from time to time, they do some agriculture-related projects. And corn is the staple food source in that area because of the British influence. Uh, but a lot of the children are being raised by elderly grandparents. And the bending over and stooping to plant corn is a painful, time-consuming process that often limits their ability to raise enough food to feed themselves and their young grandchildren. And a guy from Indiana, where the Malawi Project is based, has worked in agriculture his whole life, and he got to thinking, what would a corn planter look like in a simple agrarian society that could be helpful? And so tonight, the young people are going to construct with some pieces that I've already cut out and Jerry has gathered. Simple corn planters. Uh, I'm not going to show you a picture of what they look like. I want your imaginations to just <laughs> chew on that one for a, 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 a while. Maybe next week we'll bring one of our completed ones back and show it um, but an older man was able to envision what something much simpler but very helpful could look like God has gifted us with incredible capacity to not only envision things that have never been made before, but then to follow through, to create, to craft those items, to improve them. The tabernacle, 
the Ark of the Covenant. These are some of the peaks of creativity, of imagination, of execution. But the greatest of all God's creative abilities is unimaginable plan that Jesus would come as one of us, live a sinless, perfect life, and die as the sacrifice. He would take our place, pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be one with Him. God's story is a story of mystery, surprise, divine reversals. Our hope, our confidence rests not in our imaginations, but His work in our world, in us and through us and for us. Will you pray with me? Father God, we praise you for the rich history your people, Israel, and those of us who've been grafted in have of creativity, of dedication to you, of generosity, of willing and abundant giving. Lord, help us to be people who give our whole lives to you. And we pray you'll use our gifts to be a blessing to others. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.